0: hey what's up uh welcome to another episode of recovered af podcast uh this is one of your hosts kyle i'm gonna throw it over to aaron our other co-host to do our disclaimer and introduce our guest
1: hey what's up sorry i was looking at a text message you're all good you're <laughs> good to go professional <laughs> situation here. so yeah so um we on this podcast are not affiliated with any 12-step groups um we're just a couple of guys that are sharing our experience. Um, Kyle and I have recovered as a result of uh, taking the 12 steps, but we in no way speak for uh, those 12 step groups. And uh, one of the things that we, we want to talk about today is um, we've also, I've also done other things. I, we talked about diet and uh, you know, reading literature that we wouldn't read inside our rooms and uh the reason why i wanted to make that disclaimer is the only you know the 12-step things is how i recovered from addiction but that's not the only thing that i've done to um become fully whole mm-hmm. i guess and yeah. the other one of those things that i've done that i've um can't really quantify how much it's helped in my life is uh something called trauma therapy and emdr specifically and uh so today Uh, we're going to have our first non-12-step guest on the show. And uh, with that is um, uh, the clinician... That I see. I hope that that's all right to say that that's,
2: I. You get to say okay. whatever you want to okay, say. Okay, that's right. That's <laughs> a nice.
1: T- that's a nice clinician answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as you don't make me hold the paddles, we're gonna be okay. Afterwards, <laughs> <laughs> afterwards. For people, you know, <laughs> people that don't know, every time I have to hold those paddles, there's some tears short behind. Some wet works. Yeah, I don't really like it. It's yeah. not really fun <laughs> for me. And so, uh, and so anyway, so yeah, this is like what I see Candace for as part of getting whole and getting well, but I. You know, it's like, um, it's something I do in addition to my 12-step work. Absolutely. And so I just wanted to make that clear. And so welcome, Can I, is your last name pronounced Leininger?
2: Yes, that's close enough. Uh, okay, <laughs> so
1: Candice Leininger. And like, tell us like what your, the initials are, you know, like the-, uh, the LPC
2: uh, is Licensed Professional Counselor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This specializes in trauma therapy?
2: Yeah, I'm also uh, certified and I'm a consultant and I'm a trainer in EMDR.
1: Okay. So EMDR is your thing.
2: It is. Okay,
1: that's cool. Um, I don't know, like for me, it's just been a, a, a... like I had seen a lot of mental health professionals for a long time, well qualified, right? They weren't mm-hmm. they weren't bad at what they did, but they were they were super good at it. Um, but I just found that the setup that EMDR does, and maybe it, maybe it's because I tend to intellectualize things so much, and it seems to just cut past that and get right to the the deal. Because mm-hmm. if left to my own devices, I'm not gonna cry, that's for sure. <laughs> right.
2: And I always call EMDR a, a mind body soul type treatment. Because you do, you get to the body sensations, you get to your soul, your feelings, and the mind, the thoughts, which is where you like to stay, yeah. but I don't let you. Right, <laughs> that's right. That's
1: awesome. And so I, uh, I know Kyle's got a bunch of questions about what it is, um, but maybe what I was thinking you could talk about first is, um, like, how how long have you been in that field? Like, how did you, is this, is this have you, did you have another career before this, or... Is this like a second? What did you? How did you get into the mental health field?
2: Yeah, I I went to college and got my bachelor's in psychology, and found out I could say, "Do you want fries with that?" Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I did get some mental health jobs, um, but it, you know, it's not until my master's degree, which I I went back um, for later in life, did I um, get to be a, a licensed professional that qualified to get trained in EMDR. So I've been doing EMDR for over a decade now. And, um, you know, either I was in the mental health field, raising kids, uh, supporting my husband, who's also a clinician, and operating his practice, um, or, you know, uh, practicing myself.
0: And what what drove you to a psychology degree in the first place? Like, what was you know, your upbringing, does that have anything to do with where you ended up?
2: Definitely. And I think a lot of clinicians, um, are drawn to the field because they're trying to figure themselves out Mm -hmm. and their family. And that's where a lot of us start. Um, and, and hopefully do a thorough job. You know, I, I don't think you should be in this field unless you've done your own work. Um, because then what you do is you, you try to, um, feel good by fixing others. And it's not about fixing others. You got to fix yourself and then just walk alongside your client through their journey. Um, So yeah, I came, I'm a a child of an alcoholic and grew up in a pretty chaotic and sometimes violent household. Um, It was after I left the house, my my father uh, went into treatment, uh, went into a 30 day residential treatment and, you know, I had, I had left home and my mom said, dad's in, in treatment, come on home. I'm like, <laughs> no fucking way. If I, if I come home, he comes out. I, I, I know this dance. And so I stayed away. He stayed in. I went to family weekends and all of that. Yeah. And um in thirty days into it, I think somebody reached him and he had this aha moment that he had been faking it for 30 days mm-hmm. and stayed in for another 30 days. Oh, wow. So he did 60 days um a residential and my mom's like, is he ever going to come out? And <laughs> um, and he uh came out and my mom and dad didn't know how to relate anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to Mexico then for different reasons than you went. Okay, <laughs> you <know>. right. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, when he came home, you know, they they had to do some work, but they both got very very active. My mom, um, you know, was president of her local Al Anon chapter. My dad was president of his local AA chapters. They did every event the community had. I was always thankful that they had a place to go spend for new year's Eve, (laughs) you know, but they, they got their own community. And I always said, you know, my dad spent as much time in AA meetings as he used to at the bar. Mm, Um, you know, so that, that made me happy because it was much more functional. And we buried him with his 12 year coin, which was, um, uh, very cool that you know he could he could die sober and um i think as whole as he's ever been but yeah it's it you know it left um it left scars on on all of us kids that most of us there's four of us have done our own work yeah. <laughs> and gotten to a healthier place
3: mm-hmm.
1: So you were already out of the house when he went into treatment? You were an adult or you were like I was, in college? Or? I,
2: I, yeah, I was just entering college, but, okay. you know, I stopped coming home.
1: Right, yeah. You yeah. had enough of dealing with mm-hmm. his erratic behavior? Yeah, and,
2: and I was very much enmeshed with my mom, and I had a psychology professor who basically became my first counselor who oh. said, you know... You, you've become her replacement husband. Mm. And <laughs> I thought, oh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> so is,
1: is that where you, uh, did you meet your husband in college? Mm-hmm. Is that where you guys met? And yeah. then when you got out of college, did you guys, like you said, you had supported him and, um, you know, raised, you have a couple of daughters, right? Mm-hmm. So did you take a take time out from your career then to, sort of do the the family thing and, and, and support him and raise your two daughters then yeah, from that I, point? Yeah,
2: I worked for a while in the field I, that didn't have, um, I didn't have to say, do you want fries with that? But <laughs> it was, you know, it was parts of the field that you really pay your dues. like. A locked mental ward in a mm-hmm. in a state hospital, wow. a day treatment program for people who were being that was the time of deinstitutionalization. So yeah. people who had been put away their whole lives were just being released out onto the streets, mm-hmm. and 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 so, it was kind of uh, you know I I learned. That I never want to work those jobs again. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it was helping people who, yes, they needed help, but it, it was it was just tough. Yeah, you know. Um, and then um, I, I supported my husband. I had to leave the mental health uh, field when my husband went to get his Ph.D. because we couldn't afford, you know, yeah. me to support us on on um, on a mental health um, bachelor's in psychology. Right. So I, I went into sales, made good money. We had to buy our first house and, <laughs> and car and everything because I, I made good money, but I hated it. Um, yeah. And so then when he got done that, we started our family. And then the kids were getting old enough that I could go back to graduate school. And that's, you know, my I was at that point managing my, neuro, my husband's neuropsych practice. And my husband would hear me out in the waiting room, you know, joining with the families and saying, you're giving a lot of, Good counseling away free in the waiting rooms. How about you go back to school so you can get licensed? <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, it worked out pretty good.
1: There was nothing left for him to do by the
2: time you got there yeah. with him. <laughs> no, he he was dealing with the head injured okay. person, and I was I was supporting the family. But then uh, okay. when I went into practice with him, you know, that was a, a lot of my uh, um, beginning was seeing seeing people, and I I just whenever I ran into somebody who had complex trauma I knew to refer them to somebody who was EMDR trained which I had a good colleague down down the hallway but um I I just never felt competent enough to deal with them and always handled them with kit gloves until I got trained.
0: So after you got your master's degree did you immediately start into trauma therapy EMDR or was it was
2: it was probably a year after Mm -hmm. um A year or two after I got my master's degree, that I went and got EMDR trained. Yeah.
0: Now, I think it would be good to get a, because I think I fall under this category Mm -hmm. of a, probably a misconception of what trauma is. Mm -hmm. What, how would you describe or define trauma and how, how, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I, I think of it as like horrifying, really substantial, evident trauma. Right. And and, th-
2: I- and that's what we call big T's. So T for trauma. You know, big T's are the horrifying things that mm-hmm. you think of. Uh, the rapes, the seeing my buddy killed in battle, uh, you know, the, the obvious traumas. Small T's we all have. Mm-hmm. And lots of times they're relational trauma, they're um, developmental trauma. And you can be just at, you know, your your parents could be Good parents, nothing malicious, nothing abusive, but they're kind of neglectful, they're kind of caught up in their own shit, and they really, at certain developmental times, you just need more. I hear age eight all the time when I do EMDR. Hmm. And, and you know, I, I think there must be something developmentally that shifts at that age. I know for females, it's when estrogen starts hitting our brains. Um, so I, I just think something that might have been at age seven, no big deal, at age eight, You feel as I'm I'm worthless, I'm not good enough, those Mm -hmm. type of feelings. And that gets internalized Mm -hmm. and it gets built upon. So that's, you know, let's say that earliest memory of I'm not good enough is at age eight. That's what we call a touchstone memory. It doesn't matter if it's a big T or a small Mm T, it gets stored the same way. And it creates what I call an undercurrent in your life and your self-esteem mm-hmm. and until you find it and you reprocess it and desensitize it, which is what the D and the R is in EMDR. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, everyone could benefit from EMDR, quite frankly.
0: Yeah. I have a, um, I usually call it a core fundamental belief that I'm not good enough. Right. That generally, and I don't know where it comes from, mm-hmm. but I it looking back and i have found this through through the 12 steps and writing inventory and identifying fear and some stuff that like i've that is one of my biggest fears is that i'm not good enough mm-hmm. like it's and it it drives a lot of my behavior to try to overcompensate and do a whole lot of exerting of everything I can to, to feel good enough. Right.
2: And, and wouldn't it be nice not to have to expel absolutely. all that energy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, sometimes it is a single event. Sometimes it's what I call, or, or what we call clusters. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of little things in the same neighborhood by, you know, let's say the same person, your father or your father and your mother. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, what a, what I say is, is it gets swept under the rug, swept under the rug, and you trip over that lump and the rug your whole life. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, people, you know, it's a small t when you say, yeah. When I think of that, um, it comes back much more vivid than I would think. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know why it still chokes me up, but it it it, it does. And that's stupid or that's, yeah. you know, ridiculous mm-hmm. because it was no big deal. So I always say to people, you've been minimizing this your whole life. How's yeah. it working for? Right. you? Know? Yeah. <laughs> Not well. It's exactly. still it's still there. Right. You know, it might be a 20, 30 year old memory, it's still there, it still sucks, it still hurts, mm-hmm. and it needs attention. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we, we work on reprocessing and desensitizing it. And 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 that's the the heart and the head connection there. So so you you know in your head it was no big deal. It shouldn't define the way you feel about yourself. Yet in your heart, you still feel that way. So you have that disconnect. In my head, I know I'm okay. I know I'm good enough. In my heart, I feel like I'm worthless. Mm. And so when you, we can reprocess what's in your heart, then all of a sudden your heart and your head can match up. Right. And you can know you're good enough and you can feel you're good enough. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing, but I listened to the interview with your fiance mm-hmm. Megan, yeah. right? Yes. And, and she talked about um, AA was something she finally went to, she didn't want to, yeah. she, she was desperate to try anything and she knew that's where she was at. Yeah. And that's how it is with people often who come for EMDR. They're, they're desperate, they've tried talk therapy, they've tried other things, they've read all the help, self-help books, And they just, uh, you know, yes, things have been helpful, but they still can't shake that worthlessness, that Mm -hmm. helplessness. And and that's when EMDR is the right tool for the job Mm -hmm. because you do get to that and you get to... You know, and it sucks. I mean, people have a love-hate relationship with EMDR because they hate coming in, like, yeah. <laughs> like you said, Aaron. You hate, you hate holding the paddles, um, which is the the way we bilaterally stimulate the brain, or one of the ways we 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 get the brain phasing so it can process faster. And and, and you hate going there and and feeling those old memories, but you love when it finally shifts and and. There's a saying in the MDR, shift happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's <awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's, you know, it's not like this big aha, but slowly you just start to shift to the point you go, huh. Yeah, that's, that's not, you know, that's yeah. not trashing me anymore. That's not making me feel like shit anymore. Yeah,
0: that's interesting because my first thought was, like, I need to go see you, and then immediately it was, like, oh, my God, what have happened <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm, like, oh, no, I don't know if I can do right, that. Right, right. <laughs> <So, laughs> be careful yeah. about yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, oh, that sounds horrifying. Because like, yeah. I don't, there's a lot of stuff. I don't even, I can't even pinpoint it, like, mm-hmm. but there's just, just fear around it. Yeah. Getting better even, I think. Well, yeah. and,
2: and it's human nature to avoid unpleasant pain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so you do as long as you can. And and people who get to the grave without having to, to deal with it and face it head on. And that's why I always say, people always say, oh, man, I wish my mom would come in and do this. I'm like... Holds your mom, and they tell me I'm like your mom probably just wants to get to the finish line without <laughs> dealing with this shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. right. let's not let's not drag your mom into this. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. But I, uh, no, it's it's not um it's not easy work, but it's worthwhile to work. I can imagine.
1: Yeah. Um, I was gonna ask if you could take us through. You uh, we will. I I mentioned the paddles, and you mentioned the paddles, and then you briefly talked about um, getting your brain phasing back and forth. But could you talk about specifically because amber's done it before and Mm -hmm. and she did it on a light board Mm -hmm. and so what i have is um there are two little palm-sized paddles that i hold in each hand and they vibrate from the left hand to the right hand and Mm -hmm. then i go into some crazy trance (laughs) and start crying like a (laughs) small child but uh but can you take take us Mm -hmm. through the science science of what what that is Mm -hmm. for people that don't know what the hell we're talking about?
2: Sure. So it, it's um, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And the eye movements are where EMDR started. So Francine Shapiro, who is the founder of EMDR, um, was upset about something and in a park and, and she was um, just processing her disturbance and noticed her eyes were going back and forth and it helped her disturbance Come down faster. So she started experimenting on friends and colleagues, <laughs> and then decided, I think, to make it a thesis project. And wow. and 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 so, and it's like what we do in REM sleep. So when we're in REM sleep and our eyes are closed, our eyes are going back and forth. And so something they've noticed because we've studied dreams a lot because dreams are sexy and interesting. But one thing they found out when when the <laughs> There's the dog. This happens <laughs> <laughs> rarely, but it happens. Sorry. No yeah. problem. And, and and so when they study people in REM sleep, one thing they noticed was a distortion in in time. You know, they would either think that um, so your first REM cycle is like 20 minutes long. If you sleep eight hours, it could be up to an hour long. Mm -hmm. But people would say, oh, it feels like I was in there for hours and it was a 20-minute REM cycle, or it felt like I was in there for days and it was a 60-minute REM cycle. So there was a distortion of time that went on, and often when people are in a set and doing doing EMDR, which is when we're typically not talking and, and there's some form of bilateral stimulation going on, either, either with eye movement, like you talked about with Amber with a light board, or with the, the paddles, the tappers um, vibrating back and forth, or you can do it with auditory, with sounds going back and forth, or he can do all three together. Teenagers are notorious for wanting all three modalities okay. <laughs> at once. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just teenagers for you. Most adults, mm-hmm. it, it's overstimulation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but and, and and so it gets the brain phasing and processing. So lots of times we get frozen, we get stuck in in our trauma and our thoughts, and we just kind of loop or we get hunkered down in it where this gets the brain processing. So, we've been bilaterally stimulating our brains before EMDR, not just in REM sleep, but have you ever gotten upset and gone for a walk? And, you know, you storm out and you're walking and you're walking. Well, your feet hitting the ground is a form of bilateral mm-hmm. stimulation. Okay. So, you you know, you start walking and then you start thinking and you start calming down and you start thinking, well, maybe I can go back to the office or the house or wherever mm-hmm. I stormed out of now that I I've process to what's going on so we've been using bilateral stimulation before i knew anything about emdr i used to be a pacer and my husband would come Mm -hmm. home and he'd see me pacing in the living room and go "Uh (laughs) uh-oh and he'd you know try to duck back out and i'm just like it's You know, I I just need some time, and I didn't know why I was pacing, but it helped me process whatever I needed to process. Mm. Now I just tap on myself. You know, if I've got a disturbance, I just let myself think about it and tap on myself. Usually I tap on my collarbones. Um, even if I have the tappers around, I still usually use just tapping on my collarbones, <laughs> and that's my preferred bilateral stimulation to kind of let the disturbance peak and subside, and let me kind of, you know, process through it. Mm. And and EMDR is is great not only because it's it's an effective tool that works very efficiently. So people, you know. Will spend less time in therapy and get more bang for their buck, mm. but also you can integrate uh, a lot of other therapies. So there's inner child work or internal family systems work that I like to integrate, and 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 it it can really help move things along, too. But that's not something we teach in the beginning when we teach new EMDR therapists. But it's it, you know it's something that I've learned to integrate. And the inner child work, you know, it, is very powerful work and very healing. And mm-hmm. I say, you know, you are the best person to reparent yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, um, it's a great, it's another therapy that can easily get integrated into EMDR.
0: Now, is there a, um, I don't want to use the phrase, but I, I don't have a better word, qualification to 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 get into EMDR? Mm-hmm. Like, is there, okay, you tried this and this and this, and now it's this? Or how do, How would someone...
2: Oh, qualify for yeah. EMDR. exactly. I gotcha, I yeah. gotcha. Um, everybody pretty much is getting EMDR in my office. One, because people come here, you know, people come to me often through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so it's an a eight-phase process. So phase one and two is history and preparation. And you might have somebody who's very fragile and is going to stay in that phase two, that preparation phase, much longer than somebody who's not as fragile. Mm-hmm. But my goal is always to get to phase three and four where you get to start reprocessing. Mm-hmm. Um, phase three is, is uh, assessment or, as I call it, activation. And then phase four is when we turn the paddles on <laughs> and, and then um, we after that we do body scan because, like I said to you before the show, it, it's really a mind body soul treatment. so we want to not only get to the negative cognitions about self and 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 the feelings in your heart, but also we keep um, our body has a own its own set of memories mm. and so people talk about muscle memory mm-hmm. well. The, the body, um, really, when you're going through it, um, it, it kind of weirds people out, and weird is the number one word my clients use yeah. to, to describe EMDR. They'll get a headache, so we're getting close to the end of the session, and I'll say, you know, how you doing? And they will say, fine, and i say, well, you know, scan your body. Um, and they'll say, you know, Oh, I, I, I have a little bit of headache, but that's probably from crying so hard. And, and I say, did you have it coming in now? Okay. Will you just spend a minute in the next set, just noticing the headache. Mm-hmm. And in a minute that, that headache will subside. It's just, you know, usually during that trauma event, we reprocessed, maybe they got a headache during that and their body is remembering it. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a real headache. It's a memory of a headache. Okay, well. And so they go, that's really weird. I had a headache, and now it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So, you know, if you don't get to the body, what will happen is people won't see the images anymore, they won't feel the the feelings anymore, but they'll still get triggered and end up in urgent care far Mm -hmm. more than they should because they think, you know, something's wrong with their body. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, that's why we always check the body at the end because that's those those sensations, those body sensations, sometimes take a little bit longer and a little bit more attention wow. to, to desensitize.
1: Hmm. Um, I was going to ask, you talked about um, corrections. You talked about uh, correcting the trauma or whatever it is. Could you explain what a little bit what that means? Because I mean, I have that experience. I mean, that's exactly what we do is we go find something, we pick it out, we go through it. Um, you allow me to decide what corrective measures mm-hmm. would be needed in that situation. Say if we had a time machine, I'm just trying to explain <laughs> this, that might make sense. Mm-hmm. And then essentially we go back and we do that and we implement those. Yeah. So can you, I mean, tell people, I, so it's, it, it, does, it sounds so crazy. I think when Canada's I started meeting, like I was just fully honest about like had I... Um, been given this opportunity the last time maybe i was in sobriety i probably would refer to it as hippie bullshit and uh <laughs> like been pretty close-minded about it and it sounds so weird but i can't explain in the way in of it in its effectiveness and it's a lot the way i talk to myself uh nowadays like mm-hmm. when i make mistakes it's not a problem it's just an underst- understanding of that's what happens in life and mm-hmm. it's not a big thing anymore right? yeah and so like the, a lot of the um I don't know. It's almost like drama of the way I spoke with myself is just gone, and I spoke to myself now like a rational adult might. So, yeah. can you tell us about those corrections?
2: Sure, and and this is where I integrate the the um, inner child work and the internal family systems work and how you talk to your parts because we all talk, have parts. You know, mm-hmm. we all have an angry part and and a defensive part and a hurt part. And accepting those parts and, and tending to them and, and reparenting yourself, which you know is, is both inner child work and, and internal family systems work and going back and letting your adult self love on your child self that just needed an attaboy or mm-hmm. you know something it can often be something little. So if you do a set where you're you're addressing that child self or those parts. And accepting them and and getting a relationship with them so when they uh, come up you no longer have to blame yourself and have that blaming part come out to to keep that other part You, you just accept that you have these parts and you know how to to tend to them in a in a loving way and we really you know, everybody is looking for that love outside of themselves, mm-hmm. and, and that's great, you know. Uh, it's, it's nice to be loved outside of yourself, but uh, knowing how to love yourself and tend to yourself and your parts, n- that is, you know, that is part of the, the secret to life, mm-hmm. and if you can learn how to do that, and not judge but accept, oh I, I know why I was starting to feel angry or defensive and I, I need to to tend to that part versus judge it. Um, it's very healing. So yeah, we integrate a set of often inner child work or, or internal family systems with, with the parts where y- you get to get to know that part and know how to, to deal with it in a, in a loving and, and centered way, I think, is, is really because what you're doing is you're centering in your true self mm-hmm. and not letting that part kind of hijack you. I know I have that part. I know why I have that part. And yeah, it obviously needs some attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah i uh i have this thing i don't want to make this about me of course but i have this thing where (laughs) i uh i i'm very incapable of receiving a compliment Mm -hmm. and i don't know where that comes from but it like i almost have a physical reaction when someone's i'm like and i'm like okay do i just be okay with that or is there work that i need to do on that and i don't know yeah so I understand, like, oh, yeah, there is a part. <laughs> like, I'm oh, I'm just sitting here like, gosh, dang it, I'm going to have to set up a meeting with you, and I'm terrified. But, yeah,
2: so. yeah, that's coming from somewhere. Yeah. You know, so you have a, a, a part that's uncomfortable with compliments. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, you said, the part about not feeling good enough. Yeah. Yeah, it would make sense that that part doesn't feel comfortable with compliments and you have right. to have almost a visceral reaction. Yeah, yeah.
0: My, Megan is always like, she'll like try to like, yeah. hey, it's okay, <laughs> and just say oh, thank you, <laughs> just say thank you. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I, I have a lot of work to do, is what I'm saying. <laughs> the,
1: the fact that you have a physical reaction, that's the that's the sign for me, yeah. like all the time. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about refueling the things and refueling them in the body, like in my chest and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. think you get sweaty doing a podcast. I'm sweating yeah, right <laughs> now. Wait till you get into wait till yeah. you get into that room. Yeah. <laughs> Sweat city boy. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> sweating. <laughs> so you um you got like you you worked with so you're in private practice now, right? Right. You worked with like an in a place to get to where you're at now. You sort of worked with a lot of veterans, is that?
2: Yeah, I was um for a couple of years, uh, the director of psychological health for the Army National Guard. And when I was there, I saw not just Army Guard, but Air Guard, um, somehow some active Air Force and even some Naval Reservists, which yeah. didn't know we had in this area right. considering we're landlocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and and my husband is also the director of the vet Center, which is a, a branch of the VA that broke away kind of or was developed during the Vietnam war when vets came home and felt kind of discriminated against by the big VA. so right. they're they're in like storefronts and out out more away from the VA campus and any combat vet can walk in and be seen at a vet center. So he's he's um, he's there so we we moved from, um, Casper to here so that we could be, this is more of a military set, uh, town. Right, we yeah. have an Air Force base. Eww. We have Air Guard, Army Guard and like I said, the Marines are everywhere. They're always here. Mm-hmm. And and we wanted um, as a, towards the end of our career to give back in this way. So we purposely moved here wow. um, to serve those who have served, are serving and their family. And I see a lot of spouses of, mm. of military folks too.
1: Because they experienced like PTSD from their spouse's service too, or is it just just regular everyday trauma, or is it the trauma that comes with the uncertainty of having a loved one, you know, deployed, kind of a thing? Yes,
2: yeah. <laughs> both. All of it. Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> all of everything. The, the interesting thing, that rarely, and I can't even think of a situation, have I not worked with a, a, a combat uh, vet uh, who's either active duty or, 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 or retired? and not gotten into their childhood stuff. Really? Yeah. So
1: this stuff's coming out before I mean they come out.
2: into me for their, their combat right. stuff, but then, you know, they they find out that they're just not feeling to blame for what happened over in Iraq. Um, because of what happened over in Iraq, but very early on, they were kind of the scapegoat in the family, mm-hmm. and, and they always felt to bra- blame, so that stuff bubbles up, and well, we address it.
1: What's funny about that is um, the first time that we'd heard of MDR, Amber did it. My uncle recommended it for her, because she had a single car accident and mm-hmm. when she was ejected from the vehicle, and she would, she, would be, she would have to stop with paralyzing fear while she was driving, so my uncle suggested that she try emdr but she could never get to the accident because (laughs) all of her shit from junior high would come up really (laughs) yeah like and 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 and, uh, a clinician that was doing with it told her like if you have if you have if you have issues, that that's going to come up. And even my uncle, the one that suggested it, had talked about training it. And when he would, they would have to practice on each other, and when they were practicing on each other, his shit would come up. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll, it'll get it out of mm-hmm. you. <laughs>
2: well, as a, as a clinician, when you go to become EMDR trained, we tell you to come with the trauma you are willing to work on yourself that's appropriate to work on in a training environment. So half the time you're in an academic setting and the other half the time you're in a practicum setting Mm
4: -hmm. where
2: you are the clinician or the client. So, you know, there's nobody who's EMDR trained who hasn't worked on their own stuff, at least a little. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, so there's a saying in EMDR, you, you start with worst or first. So worst... Let's use amber situation yeah. is, is the car accident. First maybe that junior high stuff, yeah. even though first is usually younger than that. Uh, somewhere between the ages of three and eight is usually when I get my first target. So if somebody is is like amber and can't drive because of that that car accident, you and it's interfering with da- daily living, then you can go and just focus on that and contain everything else. Now, you're not going to get the disturbance all the way down, because it's got feeder memories. Somehow, that car accident also reminds her of stuff that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. You know, So you contain everything, and you can get down the disturbance enough with that car accident uh, trauma so that she can drive and then you go back and you start chronologically kind of moving through stuff mm. but it's hard when your your brain is pulling you there and you can't and you can't contain it which mm. kind of sounds like her situation yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely yeah
0: now you have uh you said it's like a eight part program is there an end game like it, do mm-hmm. do do you do it enough and then you're done like for i just think of like my twelve-step experience—it's never-ending, right? Like I continue to work yeah. that program, and it's
2: eight phases, which aren't aren't linear. So once you're done with one and two, you're done with one and two.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, um, sometimes you jump jump back into prep if the person needs some skills to be able to to work through it. Mm-hmm. But you just keep going through the other phases until you're out of targets. Mm-hmm. And and so that's, and it's a three-prong approach. So that's the past stuff. You get through the past stuff. And then there, there's the present prong. So you talk about triggers, anything that happens. So sometimes... Doing the past work desensitizes the present, but you want to make sure that if there's any disturbance still around the present triggers, that you take that through the same process. Mm-hmm. And then there's future templates. So if you notice somebody especially is avoiding things, you want to make sure you don't always get to future templates with everyone, but when people are still in avoidant behavior, I know I feel better, I, I know I'm doing better, but I still don't want to go to Walmart because I, that's where I would always get triggered excuse me, no matter what the person's trauma is, Walmart always seems to be a trigger. Yeah. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I <laughs> have a
0: good Walmart story. Yeah, <laughs> well, we already I had to take
1: Valium to get through Walmart,
3: mm-hmm. and he
2: had a, n-
1: a damn near on their breakdown yeah. and new in sobriety. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't care
2: what your trauma is, Walmart's a trigger. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, you know, if I say to my client, I know we're through, you know, everything, and, I, you know, I say, okay, let's imagine you going to Walmart uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, this weekend. And, and oh, so how would awesome. you like that to go? How would be the optimal way a visit to Walmart go? Okay, so then we, we kind of run that little movie in their head mm-hmm. with some slow bilateral stimulation and, and or slow to medium. You don't want to real activate it. Okay, so now let's say... You go to walmart and you have a challenge what could that challenge be oh there's screaming kids or there's you know Mm -hmm. um whatever goes down in walmart (laughs) you know people dropping things being loud okay so so let's imagine how you want to handle that challenge and you can for every challenge they come up with you brainstorm how they want to handle it optimally and then you install that so what it's like is it's like mental practice Mm -hmm. with getting them processing with it and it gives them more confidence to go to Walmart. So I once had a woman who, who we did all these these future templates around her drunk mother-in-law coming, barging into the house and wreaking havoc in their lives. And um, so a lot of hers was, I'm just gonna take the kids, load them in the truck and take them for ice cream. And so she came in one week, and she said, "So my mother in law's been fine, but my husband and my father in law had a fight out in the front yard. um They were like <laughs> seriously beating the crap out of one another yeah. and she goes i." It didn't upset me. I just loaded the kids in the car and took them for ice cream. <laughs> so we awesome. <laughs> we never installed that, you know, yeah. with the father in lo- her father in law, but it's generalized so mm-hmm. that she handled the situation wow. in in a way that she you know felt was good for her kids. Yeah. Wow. So yeah.
1: Did you have another one? Go ahead. Shoot. Go ahead. Shoot. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask. So you're. You've been doing this for a while now, and you've been able to make it to where your your private practice now, and you're in a pretty fortunate position where you're pretty booked, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if our people listening are out there, if this sounds like something they might be interested in, is there like a national website where they mm-hmm. can find EMDR providers? Yes. Like, what would that? What would that? Where would they go to find a local in their area? Because it turns out like we have people listening all over yeah. the place, mostly here, but mm-hmm. elsewhere, too. Yeah. yeah.
2: So EMDR.com is the institute, anybody who's been trained by the EMDR Institute. And EMDRIA, which is the EMDR International Association, org, is another site that lists people who um, are, have been trained and who are also often um, people who have... Sought a higher level level of certification um, are are listed on there. Okay. So I usually always say go to emdria.org first okay. and, and look for somebody in your area. Okay. And um, if you can't find anyone anyone look for uh, emdr.com. Now when people contact me because rarely do I take new clients and I'm I'm scaling back on my clients because I'm doing more and more consultation. Of clinicians who are getting trained and and during the process of getting basic training you need 10 hours of consultation if you go on to certification you need 20 hours of consultation by an approved consultant so more and more I'm trying to raise the next generation of EMDR therapists so you know part of that is that but I have you know I, I I know every EMDR clinician around so Anybody who comes to me doesn't just get a no. Mm -hmm. I I, I, uh, usually text them uh, a picture of three different business cards Mm. of EMDR clinicians that um, hopefully have openings. Um, And I always say, if that doesn't work out, get back in touch with me. So I I always just make sure, because it takes a lot of courage to reach out to a counselor. Mm. And if you just get, sorry, I'm I'm not accepting new clients, and, and no next you know thing to know how to reach out then mm-hmm. usually you don't you just stop there
3: yeah what's
1: funny about our story is <laughs> she was already in the scaling back process mm-hmm. when i reached out for her and uh, she was like not going to see any more clients late she was not going <laughs> to like you know put herself in any odd situations and she had all these <laughs> things she was doing to try and set you know scale things back but she had a, a colleague or something that said i might have a reference for you or something like that right you, a, a hero and an no opioid. you you uh, you, uh, you was, left a voicemail yeah yeah i, I was like yeah because i had been i several people had suggested that i might be able to benefit from trauma therapy yeah
2: and it. i i think i called you back to say now
1: you did? I, yeah. yeah. It was just my award-winning yeah, personality yeah, that won word. you over. I, no, and I always. No, it was just me no, weeping. No, it definitely wasn't that. No. It was me bawling like a baby, talking about how I can't get off the dope. <laughs> it was like.
2: What it actually was is, you know, I don't. You can call it God. You can call it universe. I just always say I, I follow my gut, and I I cross paths with those who I'm supposed to cross paths with, mm-hmm. and my gut was just telling me. I should take you. And my husband, you know, so you, you took another client when you said you're done. Um, it's a recovering heroin addict who you're seeing after hours <laughs> in the the office all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> God, I can
0: only imagine. Yeah. yeah. You
2: know, and, and, you know, I've said that Aaron has, has taught me so much and it's, you know, I, I, I love what I learn from my clients. Mm. And, and so um, I've, I have a, a big book sitting on the bottom shelf of, of my awesome. of my bookshelf, which, you know, Aaron will look over at that book like he's mentally opening it, and <laughs> and like give me stuff verbatim. Yeah. And and what we're doing is is we're showing how they complement each other. Mm-hmm. What it says in the big book and what we're doing there in therapy. Absolutely. And and so yeah, even though I have that book big book there and we don't open it, we get to read from <laughs> it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron's pretty <laughs> good at that. He's excellent. Yeah at it and mm-hmm. has, has taught me a lot. That's good. Um, but yeah, it was just my my universe telling me this was somebody who I was supposed to walk alongside. Yeah.
1: And like awesome. I had called you and then got and left a voicemail mm-hmm. and I had gone on to the next name on my list and mm-hmm. uh was in the middle of like setting up an appointment with her mm-hmm. and you called back and like something told me just to like make sure to click over and take that call. And you like reluctantly took that appointment and I called her back and I was like, I, I found somebody else. so <laughs> I just, <laughs> I appreciate your time. So it was one of those things where, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It just worked out the way it was supposed to,
0: for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask and you kind of just hit on it is what what is the... um. I would imagine that it's r- really rewarding. But what are the, uh, the wins that you get to experience, at, you know, in the field? What, do you, what are some of the stuff that well, you just value?
2: It's it's incredibly rewarding. Um, and and when I say to people I'm a trauma therapist, they look at me like I'm you know half baked. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, to have somebody, and and I, I, I when I did talk therapy, I, I would. I would say it, it's rewarding, but not like now, mm-hmm. because you see people make these positive shifts, and sometimes they even uh, kind of forget why they came in to see you, because they get feeling so good. Mm-hmm. And and we say this in training, don't get offended if one day your EMDR client just looks over at you and go. Yeah, no offense, but I don't even know why I'm, I'm in <laughs> therapy. And it's like, sounds like it's time for you not to be yeah, in therapy, no kidding. you know? Wow. So, so, you know, my, my clients, they, I, I meet them where they're at and, and some people, you know, they want to keep seeing me every week and I'm like, eh, you don't really need to. So mm-hmm. that's unethical, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll bump back to every other week and then once a month and yeah. once every other month. And I always, as I, I End with a client, one, they know how to take care of themselves, how they talk to themselves, and how to deal with their own disturbances. Uh, And two, they know the right tool for the job. So if something comes up that we missed or they have a new trauma, you know, and they can't move it themselves, and I say, you know, if it's way down the road and I'm retired, you know how to find it on org mm-hmm. or emdr.com. You know the right tool for the job. Just go back and get some EMDR. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, everyone's different. Um, I once had this attorney who said to me, you know, I have this one single incident, but it went on over. It was a case, a traumatic case. And she goes, I just want to desensitize this. How long will it be? And I said, I can't guarantee it in stone, but I'm going to say five sessions. And I did it exactly in five (laughs) sessions. And believe me, she keeps referring to me now. But it was was pretty simple, and I knew we were gonna contain anything that came up because she told me Mm -hmm. she didn't want to deal with anything else. And, and so, yeah, if it's single incident trauma, we say three to five sessions. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew even though we were working with something that went over time, it's still a single incident trauma. Mm-hmm. So it can move very fast, but often people, they get in, they come in for, like like Amber, they come in for the car accident and they start dealing with, with other stuff. Where other people are, are much more, nope, this is it, this is all we're mm-hmm. going to work with, and mm-hmm. that, that's it. So... Um, It it can be quite quick with teenagers and kids. It moves so quick. It's unbelievable. I once had an eight-year-old boy. His house had burned down. Um, Everybody got out. Everybody was safe. But he had had night terrors every night for a year. Mm -hmm. And his mom brought him in. And, you know, I kind of educated her, got to know her. The next session, we got right into reprocessing. And the next session, she says he hasn't had a night terror and I checked just to see if anything was there. But that little eight-year-old brain, it was single incident trauma. Mm-hmm. It, it just moved right through it. I mm. mean, it was incredibly fast. So, wow. Yeah. You know.
1: I was just going to say, I think that's cool. There's some probably industries out there that make profit from the people they work with staying sick. And that's not mm-hmm. what you do. You get people well, you get them, uh, that's why your practice is called Time to Thrive, right? Mm-hmm. You get them out there killing it and kicking ass in life and mm-hmm. then, you know, set them free, yeah. right? Not trying to keep them sick and, you know, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I don't want to abandon them, but I, I, I you know, don't want to keep them there when they don't need to be there. Yeah. They know I'm, I'm there to help. And yeah, and sometimes they need a little bit longer and sometimes they don't. But the reason I named my practice Time to Thrive was because I see every hour on the hour incredible survivors. Mm -hmm. And they got great survival skills. However, survival skills are usually the opposite of thriving Mm -hmm. skills. And so to get them to let go of those survival skills Convincing them they'll be there if you need them, and 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 learn different skills
3: mm-hmm.
2: is is a challenge. But yeah, I you know I I know that that they know how to survive. Mm-hmm. They've survived incredible things, but they haven't a clue how to thrive.
0: Yeah, I think that's one thing I uh, I recently have had experience with is like I it's hard to let go of those survival skills because a it's the only life I've ever known mm-hmm. and and. They they're pers- perceived as an asset mm-hmm. where further look they might be holding me back. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's kind of staying stuck in that survival mode. Yeah, and that's why people see me uh, is is they're tired of just surviving mm-hmm. and and they really. You know, they want to thrive, but they don't know how to get there. Yep. And and so I always say, you know, it's your path, but I have the flashlight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk alongside <laughs> you with the flashlight that's and shine awesome. it down that path. That's so good.
1: <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say again to clarify. So anybody, anybody really can qualify. Anybody mm-hmm. that's really lived at all is probably experiencing some trauma in yes. their life and could benefit. Yeah. Is it usually people that are stuck? I mean, what? Who do you find? Ex- could benefit the most from trauma therapy? Like who do you see that really when they come in, do you like is there a specific thing like soldiers that are experiencing mm-hmm. PTSD or is it women that have been, you know, the victims of, of violent sexual acts? Or like who do you see? Is there a particular group of people that you see that – really benefit from trauma therapy the most or is it just
2: it's it's all of the above that when i'm training other therapists what i always say to them is you know you're you're coming to get trained to to you know help those soldiers or 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 those people with with sexual trauma but i say you know don't forget the small t's because they're your goal gold it's people think um i i don't have trauma i just have low self-esteem that low self-esteem is from the, those small T's. yeah mm-hmm. so I love when I get to work on somebody's small T's because they had no idea the burden they were carrying around and and you know I always say EMDR makes the bad things uh, smaller um, I, I once had a, uh, a soldier say to me, it's like I've been wearing this backpack full of bricks my whole life, not even knowing it. Mm-hmm. And every time I come in here and I get to leave behind a brick. Wow. So, um, you know, all, all of the above, I, I think... Um, I think most therapists come in thinking of those big T's, and then are surprised how effective. And that's what the studies are done. Uh, you know, the the it's an evidence-based treatment that has had for 25 years studies on PTSD, and and what we have found out is it's just as effective on on the smaller things but when you look at the literature you think it's just for PTSD mm-hmm. which it's it's not and so i yes i'm i'm always ready for the big teas but i enjoy the small teas cuz that's kind of like un- uncovering something that nobody knew i had this um, my first emdr client she was a, a nurse a lovely person who you know thought she was just um, overwhelmed by an unsupportive husband and two you know children that were kind of high needs and she she really didn't you know n- never presented with any big traumas and so when you first get trained after the first weekend of training they say find somebody who you have a good relationship with and doesn't have a lot of big T's. and um, but the thing that always brought her into counseling was every once in a while she would find herself on top of a hospital parking garage which not in this town another town and and uh, be looking over the edge and thinking about taking a flight Mm, mm. so her life you know her overwhelming life um, would cause her to have some suicidality and that's when she called me I always said, I'm glad you called. Mm-hmm. But when we did EMDR, we found this, and I swear it was around eight years old. She didn't want to go to school for some reason. She um, was hiding in the bushes outside her house. Her father found her, and I think she might have like wet her pants or something embarrassing. And, um, you know, father didn't beat her or anything like that, but she just had all this shame. And we found that memory, and she sobbed for an hour. And afterwards she goes, "Huh, Didn't know that was all there.. <laughs> <you know? laughs> the and she was never suicidal again no. after reprocessing wow. that eight-year-old memory. No. And her and I didn't know it was there. Mm. And even though by everybody's you know account, it's, it's no big deal, it, it just it, it's what just, I think shamed her enough to want to just sometimes kill herself mm-hmm. and when that would get triggered and she wasn't feeling good enough mm-hmm. um yeah that suicidality would get get triggered but mm. I had no idea as a new A.M.D.R. therapist that that you know that was going to be uncovered and be such a big thing and be so healing
0: right is that pretty normal like do people go in regularly know or having an idea like this is the trauma that I've experienced or because like for me I've been in a couple of pretty horrific car accidents. Mm-hmm. And although I have some rough dreams sometimes, like I, I wouldn't identify that as a trauma, but then I I would be like, I, I don't know what it is, but I just don't feel good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, it, is it normal that... I guess I should nothing's really normal, but does it uh, happen a lot where people go in like the lawyer? Mm -hmm. This is the one thing I want to work on? Right.
2: Yeah. And, and what she's doing is she's handcuffing me and she's saying, this is all I want to work on. And Mm -hmm. that's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. I can, I can work just in her expectations, but when, you know, and she knew the disturbance, that was connected to it. She had full insight, but you know, for, for some of us when you come in and you just say, I don't know why, I don't feel good enough. Mm-hmm. I had a pretty okay childhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I you know, I don't know what this is about. Then we we you know, we go through your history and we do when you can't come up with it, we do a float back mm. which just, you know, well you know, can you remember a time when you felt this way? Okay, can you remember another time? And mm-hmm. you know, if someone's stuck you can put in some bilateral stimulation that gets them starting and usually activates it right. and, and and people find it and they go often they'll say something like I don't know why I thought of this this is weird and yeah. I'm like just give it to me Right, yeah. give it to me it becomes you know it becomes part of what we call their trauma timeline which is our targets mm. and and so yeah no matter how big and small but when you when you get in a position where you have the luxury to let yourself float back and you have somebody you know if needed, doing some bilateral stimulation to get you activated and processing, yeah. you find those targets. And what often happens is you find one and you go in to start reprocessing and all of a sudden others start, start popping up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that activating process of the bilateral stimulation really helps us find those things.
1: Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's I don't know. Amazing. I've had stuff that I thought was going to be a big deal that turned out to be nothing and <laughs> and stuff, you know, especially like the last time I was in there that I just hadn't even occurred to me might be a a sticking point for me was something that was still affecting me, and I had no idea. But then once... Once it came into Lou, then it made perfect sense, yeah. and then it ex- explained a hell of a lot of behavior. Yeah. So yeah. it's just crazy how it works. I can't, I mean, you know, and, and,
2: and sometimes you don't even have access. I mean, you're not talking about uh, repressed memories, but sometimes people have repressed memories. And mm-hmm. so the reason we have press, repressed memories is your mind, body, and soul has kind of made a deal that you're not going to remember this so that you don't feel the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and lots of times that activation of the bilateral stimulation will bring up Completely repressed memories. So people will say, I, r- I remembered something I haven't thought about forever. So that's kind of a, a, a repressed memory. Other people will say, okay, I just I just came up with something. I don't know if it's real or not. Hmm. I don't know if this really happened. Yeah. But I, it's, it, it, you know. And I always say, let's just do another set and it will become clear. So the nice thing about repressed memories is people's lives make more sense then. It sucks for them in the moment. They're remembering something that their mind, body, and soul right. earlier decided, you're not strong enough, you're not supported to enough it. to handle it. And well. But now you are. Now you are in a safe place. Now you can handle this memory. And when people uncover uh, memories, they usually get pretty upset, angry sometimes, yeah. you because know, they think they had all their memories and they find out they didn't. Mm-hmm. But then they go, oh, now that makes sense. Oh, now I understand why I feel this way or act this way.
0: Wow. That's incredible.
2: Yeah. So repressed memories sometimes happen. And, you know, I, I think um, new clinicians are often scared of that. We don't go digging for them. But when they come up, they come up because it's time to deal with it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, yeah, and I like it because my clients really benefit from understanding their mind, body, and soul a lot more. Wow. Yeah
1: uh i was just gonna say so we're about an hour in, probably yeah we are an
0: hour 58 minutes
1: i was just gonna say that kyle's always uh or you know has talked about before maybe not on the podcast but just in our personal life about um you know him not the reason why he does everything is because he's not exactly sure what the one thing was that why he got to be where he's at today you know was it his third step decision was it his inventory was it his you know willingness to do the uh 12 step and and whatever and you know when i look at you know my life today compared to what it was you know two and a half years ago um you know it's a combination of everything combined you Mm -hmm. know i couldn't say it was one thing and Mm -hmm. i couldn't say it the other but i can say it's a total of all the things and uh i just i don't know i'm just appreciative and and grateful to have had that experience you know uh so I don't know. Thank you for being on here today. Thank you for explaining about what it is because I, I reference it from time to time in the podcast. And and when we're in the rooms, I, re- I reference into it to, and I'm specific to call it an outside issue. But our literature is clear about seeking outside help for outside issues, too, and, it, you know, giving us permission to do those things. Mm-hmm. And wow.
2: so and I appreciate the 12 steps. Like I told you when we made our first appointment, yeah, I'm not going to see you if you don't have a sponsor yeah. On your program. Yeah, he you told know? me that, and
0: I was like, God, that is so awesome mm-hmm. to hear, you know, it's yeah. just. So cool. Yeah.
2: No, I can't. I can't do it all. But yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm. I, I'm very appreciative. You know, I, I if I knew if it could get my father there, it could get anybody yeah, there. I suppose <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah.
0: Didn't you uh, yeah. Didn't you say, well, here's the deal. I'm starting my own meeting yeah. and all this. <laughs> and it was cool. like, that's not going to work. <laughs> she
1: was like, no, I need you to be part of an established yeah. I, I 12-step like, that, fellowship. <laughs>
2: that's cool. But, yeah, no, you also need to. <laughs> How about a real
1: one, <laughs> man? Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> I'm sure you, yeah. you still agreed to see me bless your heart. Uh,
0: yeah, no good. <laughs> like game.
2: I said, my universe just... Uh, Brought you to me. Yeah, yeah. so. so awesome! That's awesome. I just
0: want to say thank you, Candice. This, this yeah, sure. was super informative. I'm really glad that you were willing to be on it. No, so thanks, thank you.
2: Thanks for inviting me. I Appreciate
0: awesome. it. You want to plug our? Oh yeah, email? we have a uh,
1: we have an email. Um, it's recoveredafpodcast at gmail And uh, if you have any questions, and then w- give us just real quick the websites for people that are interested in EMDR again. Sure,
2: EMDR.com and EMDRIA.
1: And those, and then people looking for a, a local trauma therapist in their area can find one or yes. three of those websites.
0: Awesome! Yeah, thank you again, Candice. Sure thing. Cool. cool.